And I'm loading up my shotgun, double barrel, double lock. I'm gonna find old Jody, and we're gonna, gonna have a talk now. He and Mr. Winchester should get along quite well. But if they don't, I don't think Jody, <laughs> be round tail. <laughs> BJ, I'm gonna find old Jody. Give him a 12-gauge education. <laughs> Teach him about life. <laughs> but this tape can be called, uh, I'm going to call it the Cedar Choppers. And uh, it's going to go back uh, in the early teens when my first experience with uh, some of these uh, people uh, was through my father. It so happened that uh, my father and my brothers and I have been the lawyers for these people in that area for well over 50 years, mostly uh, about 70 years, as a matter of fact. And some of these tales will go back that far. And the only reason I can tell them with any degree of authenticity is because I was one of them. Uh, they came to me in confidence, and they told me these things, and, of course, I just feel like I, I'm kin to them. Uh, in spirit, I certainly am. And they love and respect me, and I'm honored by that, and I love and respect them, although a lot of them were felons. But... I don't know of anything that I would recite here that happened except murder that, under the circumstances, most of them were justified. I will begin on the west end of this area. It's uh, where the Teague family lived, one of the Teague families, and that lived. they lived on, I think their land run on both sides of the BK Road up on the, the west end, right by about where the Commons Ford Road turns off of the BK Road now. And there was the old man I only met one time. He was quite elderly at the time that I first moved up there in 1928. I started roaming around up there. And his oldest boy was named John Teague. And then he had uh, the second boy was named Tom Teague. And the third boy was named Homer Teague. And then he had a daughter named Mrs. Heidelwright. the only way I've ever known of her. And she probably was a little younger than John. John was the oldest, but uh, she had gotten married and went by the name of Heidelwright when the first experience that I've ever heard of her. But my acquaintance started with the Teagues way back in, uh, at a time when my father was county attorney. It must have been about 1913 or 14, somewhere along in there. And uh, there was a, a saloon out on South Congress Avenue at Monroe Street run by Mr. Guest. It later was run by Mr. Albright, but it was on the southwest corner of the intersection of Monroe and South Congress Avenue. Well, about the time that I was speaking of, about 1910 or 12, 13, along in there, well, one night, we got a call to our old telephone, and we were living on West Live Oak Street, and, and, I, and our two-story house, I think, at that time. It might have been before we moved into that. I believe it was. And um, Papa got a call. He was a county attorney and said that John Teague had killed uh, Mr. Guest down at this saloon, and that uh, John had uh, taken out for the mountains and or, the hills, and, and he had to go west on Monroe Street. And at that time, by the time you got to the railroad track over about where South Lamar is now, you were in the woods. You were far enough gone to where you, you, were, you were well hidden. Well, anyway, John started out, but what started the fight was this. Mr. Guest had made some kind of, so they say, some kind of a derogatory remark about Mrs. Heidelreich, which was John's sister. And uh, John didn't want to be put in a bad light, so uh, he took his pistol out, which he carried all the time, and, and uh, he run Mr. Guest out of the saloon, and Guest was hiding behind a telephone pole there or on the sidewalk, and John was able to nick him bad enough to kill him, and so John killed him, and then he knew it was time to run. So the only place he knew to run was back toward Bee Cave, uh, up the Bee Cave Road, and go home. Well, uh, there were two 
uh, little teenagers at that time, John Loveless and Pig McKellar. They had been sort of a swamp boys with a, a Mr. Guest in the back room there, and they'd get to uh, clean up the, uh, their glasses and things like that, and they'd get to swig some of the dregs out of it. Well, John told me that uh, he was there when he, this fight, uh, came, or, uh, when the argument came up, and he heard the shot, and of course, he went out the back door and jumped over the fence in the back and went home along with Pig McKellar. He said the fence was about eight feet high, but it didn't take them much trouble to scan it and get over it. And it so happened that John uh, uh, Teague was headed west and had to go by the lovely's home. But anyway, uh, John started down West Monroe, and uh, the alarm got out. They uh, they gave the hue and call, and, uh, hue and cry to everybody, to, the, the men folks on the telephone that lived in that direction to get out and, and with their arms and, and protect their families against this uh, ferocious man. Well, by the time John got down on South 1st Street uh, in Monroe, down in that area, the constable, uh, deputy constable who lived down in that area, had gotten out with his and was trying to... Uh, catch John, and he saw him, uh, uh, evidently it was enough light to where he could see an, an object on the street, it might have been when we had those old tower lights at that time, that might throw a little light over there, but anyway, the constable saw a man whom he thought might be John, and, and he called to him, and John turned and just fired at the object that he saw on the, the voice, and, and uh, uh, he accidentally, of course, he shot at the man, but he, he shot the constable, and um, he, he knocked him down to where he couldn't uh, follow him, and then John went on out and hid all night in the, around the railroad track on uh, over there on that uh, Boyd Creek or Boyd Falls over in that direction. And anyway, they caught John the next day or so and uh, put him in jail, of course, and he was indicted for murder and rest of, on murder for Mr. Guest. And, and uh, then uh, the constable low lingered for several months and finally died in such a manner that they could attribute it to the shot that uh, John uh, inflicted upon him. But in the meantime, Papa was a county attorney, and, and um, uh, he got a, a trade with old John to where he'd take a life imprisonment off for killing Mr. Guest. There was some uh, sort of an excuse for shooting a man in those days if he had insulted some of you women folks, and they were able to prove that uh, Mr. Guest had made a, that derogatory, derogatory remark about Miss Heidelright. So John took a, a life sentence on that, and whether he'd been to the penitentiary already and had to be brought back or not, but anyway, when the constable died... Then they brought John back to trial again, and he was indicted for that as a murder. And uh, and so he was given another life sentence. So he was given two life sentences, and, and that was back in the middle teens. And um, I'd forgotten all about John until I started practicing law, and it must have been in the early 30s. I, I don't remember the day at all. But anyway, one afternoon while I was officing in the Capitol National Bank building, it's called the Norwood building then, well, an old man came into my office and, and uh, introduced himself to him and said he was John Teague. And he was going to tell me the, the tale. Well, I, I inter uh, interrupted him and asked him if, if he was any kin to Homer. I knew, in the meantime, I had met Homer uh, Teague and Tom Teague. That they were still living up around BK Road. So he said, yeah, he was the John Teague that had killed Mr. Guest. And my father had sent to the penitentiary when his county attorney and said that he had uh, gotten out. He had gotten served enough of his sentence to where he was given a pardon and that he was uh, on an old-age pension. He was receiving an old-age pension at that time and living down on East 2nd Street with this same sister, Ms. Heidelwright. She was still living, and John said he was living down there with her, and that uh, he had, uh, about two or three days before that, that his pension check had come in, and uh, Mrs. Heidelwright had a sweetheart that was living there with him, and, and uh, so John got drunk. He got him a flask so he could uh, uh, imbibe a little bit and, and get, get his mind off of his worries, and and when he went to sleep uh, under the influence of liquor, well, 
I met his high like, my boyfriend uh, went through his pockets and got the balance of his pension check out, and reduced the money, and, and they left. Well, in uh, 30 or 40 minutes, John uh, woke up enough to where he knew that he had been robbed by his favorite sister. And so he got his shotgun. He had some birdshot in it. Uh, might have been buckshot. But anyway, he had a double-barrel shotgun. And, and so he went from off up uh, on 6th Street. He knew that, uh, that what had happened. He knew it, that they had taken his money and that they'd probably be in one of these little old bars on, on East 6th Street. So it must have been after Prohibition had gone out. So John went off up and roamed around up and he couldn't find them. So he started back home. And in those days, where Highway 35 is now, was just a big old wide East Avenue. It's about 7,500 feet from uh, east to west across it. And, and uh, so John was walking home on the west side, right where El Matt uh, Cafe is now. And he got uh, happened to get behind a telephone pole, and he looked across the street, which is about, like I say, 75 feet over there. And he saw this old boy that had, uh, he thought had stolen his money. And the old boy hadn't sighted John yet, so he got behind the telephone pole, so John did, and and he leveled off with his shotgun and shot this old boy. And, of course, as soon as the guy saw him, well, he knew that uh, he's dead. Uh, the bullet was, uh, went, it, it pressed his skin and burned him, and he figured he was going to die, and he knew John never missed a shot. So, anyway, he run off up and filed on him for assault with intent to murder, and, and they had John in jail. Now, how he got out, I don't know, but he told me that, that this was what happened, and he had that complaint against him, and he wanted to know if I would represent him in the case. And so I told him, yes, that I'd, I'd be glad to represent him, and, and under the circumstances, it looked like he had some kind of an excuse to, uh, for what he did. But I said, now, Mr. Teague, I said, uh, you know a man that's uh, on, uh, been, been pardoned or served a sentence out for two murders is not likely to be held in great repute uh, in the courtroom when he's uh, accused of, of uh, finding another man with intent to kill him. And then he comes in and says he didn't intend to kill him. Well, he said, I didn't intend to kill him. He said, if it had, I'd have done it. And so, but he, he wanted me to represent him. Well, I said, now, I'm not going to try to get you out of this thing uh, scot-free because of your reputation. But I will go up and dicker with the district attorney. And I think either either uh, Henry Brooks or, or Jim Hart, I don't know which one was district attorney at that time, but I told him I'd go up and, and dicker with him and see if I could get him and get the uh, complaint reduced from assault to murder, which was a felony, and could send John back to the penitentiary and get it reduced back down to um, aggravated assault or or uh, some kind of an affray assault so that he could just pay a fine or take a jail sentence. Well, John said that would be all right if I could work out something that wasn't too honest to him. So in the course of a, uh, of a, a month or so, John was indicted, of course, for assault with intent to murder, which was a felony. In the meantime, I had worked out a deal with the district attorney whereby they uh, was going to let John have a plea of guilty to an aggravated assault and, and let him take 30 days in jail. And uh, the case was to be tried uh, before the district court, and Judge J.D. Moore was the district judge at that time. And so uh, we got up to the trial of it, and, of course, the procedure was that uh, they'd read the indictment, uh, and then I would get up and tell the court that, that uh, my client was going to plead guilty, and then the district attorney would recommend that instead of uh, uh, finding him guilty for uh, the felony, he would just uh, uh, find him guilty of aggravated assault, which was a lesser offense, and give him a jail sentence. So... Uh, I got up and we went through that rigmarole and the district attorney did his part and, and then the court, of course, had to admonish John. And to do that, the court had him stand up and said, Now, Mr. Teague said, uh, I've got to admonish you about the consequences of your plea. He says, Are you pleading guilty because you are guilty or are you pleading guilty because you've been promised something and this, that, and the other and went on through the rigmarole. Well, old John had been waiting for that moment because he thought he had an ace in the hole. So uh, he started humming in the horn. He said, Now, Judge, he said, you, You've known me. And, and you've known me a long time. And he said, you know, I ain't never shot at nobody intending to kill him unless I've done it. 
Well, that was true, and that was a pretty good defense to the case. But uh, the district attorney and I, and no one else in the courtroom, uh, knew of the comity between John and J.D. Moore at that time, the judge. Well, the judge, he hummed and hawed. He said, now, Mr. T, very formally, he said, now, you either going to plead guilty and, uh, and uh, let me assess the penalty, or you plead not guilty and you go to trial for a jury. Well, John backed off then. He saw that the judge wasn't going to let him out, so we went on took our 30 days. And then when uh, uh, the, uh, the case was over, uh, Judge J.D. Moore come down off the bench, and he told, he explained to the district attorney and I that he had been the lawyer for John Teague back when he had been uh, sent to the penitentiary on these two murder char charges. And so old John, of course, knew that, and he hadn't told me about it. And so he figured that what he'd do, he'd get up there after he'd pled guilty and talk Judge Moore out of giving him any sentence at all. And that's what he had tried to do. But Judge Moore uh, did what we had agreed to do. And so far as I remember, that's about the last time I ever saw John, uh, John Teague. I'm <laughs>